Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. Welcome. So glad that you're here today, uh, that you're joining us. Uh, we're kicking off a new series, as you just saw, called Uncharted, because I think the word uncharted um, just is a great word to describe where we are in this season. Right? Uh, this past week, uh, Newport, Oregon, the police department put up this Facebook post that I felt like really just summarizes in some ways what life looks like right now. They, they uh, put on their Facebook page because they were having this issue that people were calling 911 because they were running out of toilet paper. And um, in the post, it says, it's hard to believe that we have to post this. Please do not call 911 for toilet paper. I mean, it's just, and then they proceeded to list on that Facebook post all the various means and options at our disposal for toilet paper in a pinch. And it was just this really kind of like funny post, but I was like, that's like real, like, that police department had to tell people in that town, do not post nine, do not call 911 because you ran out of toilet paper. It may feel like an emergency for you, but it does not actually count as a real emergency. And to top it all off, um, this Facebook post, I think, really captures how, how fully, truly COVID-19 is affecting all of our lives. Poor Waldo doesn't know what to do. His whole entire life has been upended because Waldo is living with the reality of social distancing. And where's Waldo doesn't have quite the same effect when instead of being in a crowded, like, Roman forum, he's in a forest by himself and five other people. I mean, it's just affected all of our lives. Like we are truly living in an uncharted time. I'm, I'm learning, what, like many of you, what it looks like to be a pandemic parent and to have all our waking hours spent together as a family, trying to navigate and live in a vacation mode that's not really truly vacation mode. And to, to know how to not just socially distant ourselves, but also like distance ourselves from the news because sometimes the reality of the case numbers climbing just can be a little panic inducing. And even as a church, as a pastor, I'm learning what it looks like the pandemic pastor because I've never done this before. This is new for all of us. And I thought this would be a great time to lean into this season because we're not going to talk about this thing forever. We're not going to be in this place forever, but for now we are. And what does it look like as a people to walk through this thing and to navigate this way and, and actually come out on the other side of it with a little bit of a richer experience, uh, with a little bit of a, a wisdom and an insight? But I don't think we should waste this moment because this is a once in a hundred year kind of thing that we're living through. And it feels so uncharted, but there are things that we can discover. It's only in the uncharted places that you discover new things. That I think there are new habits, there are new lifestyles, there are new passions that are going to be unlocked, there are new gifts and skills that you've never fully explored, that just having nothing to do with no sports to watch, no movies to see, no television shows in production, that's going to force us to maybe discover some things we didn't even know about ourselves. And ultimately, I believe this can be an amazing time 
to discover a richer, deeper faith, or maybe to discover faith in the first place, that we'll eventually get out of this thing. And COVID-19 will be a distant memory. But the things that we can pull out of this moment will go with us. And so Uncharted is the series that we're going to be in for a few weeks as we kind of walk through. And, and I like the idea of the word uncharted because embedded in it is kind of a, a throwback to navigational terms. You see, uh, if you were to be on a large shipping vessel, uh, you would know that there's a room. You, would, you could walk into a room called the chart room or the chart house. And it's the room um, that all the maps and navigational tools are kept. And before the days of GPS, uh, people... We're constantly exploring uncharted lands, seeking to chart them. And what they did when they went into uncharted lands is they used things like a compass for magnetic north, or they used the North Star, but both of those were something called uh, checking your azimuth. They, they had this idea that if I could find something that didn't change, then from that point, I could begin to get my bearings. And I may not fully know where I am, but at least I know which direction I'm headed. And after a while, that will start to become a journey and a path that I can navigate and I can begin to chart. And so what does it look like for us to get our bearings, to get our kind of navigational journey locked in in a season, in a period of life where we don't know what to do? Unfortunately for us, there is a group of people who are walking through a little bit of a similar moment. They weren't necessarily in a pandemic, although epidemics broke out all the time in this time period. It was a group of people who were living in the most powerful city in the world, in the city of Rome, almost 2,000 years ago. And Paul, who's one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament, one of the most brilliant Christian thinkers to have ever lived, this Jewish scholar turned Jesus follower, writes a letter to the church in Rome that we have today called the Book of Romans. And they're in this uncharted place. They have come to Rome because they fled Jerusalem in the midst of a persecution that broke out because they became Christians, because the world was a little uncertain about this Jesus thing. And so they flee Jerusalem and they run all the way to Rome. And they settle in Rome and now they're in one of the most cosmopolitan, influential cities in the world. And they're trying to figure out how do they live out their faith in a, in a culture, in a context that's completely antagonistic towards what they believe. Rome was a difficult place to live. They had the equivalent of skyscrapers, buildings that went up to five and six stories tall that were wooden structures that were frequently being burned down because people would cook with fire inside the wooden structures on the sixth floor, which was a horrible idea. And so it was a really challenging place to live. Life expectancy was low. And so here they are living out this new radical faith, trying to follow Jesus and not really certain of how to do it. And Paul, sitting in Corinth, thousands of miles away, feels a burden for them and begins to write a letter to them. Now, because he's never been to Rome, because he's never actually visited these people, one of the things that um, Paul doesn't really have a picture of is their internal struggles and what they're going through. And so where many of the New Testament letters are specific issues and specific challenges and Paul addressing those challenges or the writer of the New Testament letter addressing those challenges, what Paul does is essentially pin his most systematically thoughtful theological essay in the entire New Testament. It, 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 this is the one letter in the entire New Testament that's almost like 
Paul's um, kind of like um, 11th grade paper or his master's thesis. Like he sits down and he says, I want to give you how to think and what to think around Christianity. Because this is really important that you have this understanding of what the Christian faith looks like. And so as he gets to the end, trying to give them how to think in this uncharted place that they find themselves in, he writes this for them in Romans 15, verse 3 and verse 4. He says, for even Christ did not himself try to please himself, but as it was written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Now, just with verse 3, you're probably thinking, huh? Right? Like, I, I, I kind of started it there. I didn't want to give you the full context because I wanted to give you enough for you to feel what they felt when they read this or had this read to them. This comes out of left field, not just for you and for me. This comes out of left field for them too. You see, Paul's over here and he's, he's writing and addressing one of the challenges that he's noticed that the church is having as, as people are beginning to become Christians. And while he's addressing this issue, this issue sends him on a rabbit trail, a very brief rabbit trail to overhear. What he's doing is actually really brilliant, but it's really, it's really hard to catch it. You see, he knows they're struggling with this, but Paul recognizes that this is the first century. You can't just send a letter every single time they have a problem. That takes way too long. The problem they have is either going to be cleared up or will have completely taken over by the time he gets the letter and he writes back to him. They can't email him. They can't text. Paul can't tweet out an answer. They're living in a time period where Paul recognizes, I've got to give them everything they need for them to be able to charter everything they go through. And so he's saying, okay, here's this issue I've been talking about. And then he launches in for even Christ. And then he does something very nuanced. As it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Paul knows they need a North Star if they're going to be able to navigate this uncharted land. And so he, the North Star that he gives them is Scripture. For them, they would have instantly recognized this was a reference to Psalm 69, verse 9. In fact, Paul, throughout his letter to the church in Rome, he's filled it with references to the Jewish scriptures or what um, we would call the, the Old Testament today as a part of the Bible. And Paul's kind of peppered his entire theological essay with these references to the Old Testament and Jewish scriptures. He's trying to Give them this north star, this navigation point to help them navigate where they are. Because here's the thing that's really important to note. When you find yourself in an uncharted situation, oftentimes, while it may be uncharted to you and to me, it's been charted by someone else before us. And this is why he says in verse 4, he says, For, what? For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. He's like, so all this that you're walking through, all this that you're navigating, it's been talked about before. It's been dealt with before. I know you've never been here before, but others have. And God gave them wisdom. God gave them encouragement. God gave them guidance. And it's been recorded and it's been written. You don't have to ask someone who asks someone who asks someone. It's been written down for you to have it right in front of you. And he says, so it's been written to teach us, to help us, to guide us. Why? So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, he's now telling us what he's referring to in the written piece with that scripture word, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Paul's saying, look, scripture's filled with the, maybe not your experience, but it's filled with others who've experienced what you've experienced. 
It's encouraging to know that you're not one in a million and what you're walking through is not a one in a million moment, that you're one of a million, that these have happened before. These moments, these financial struggles, these relational issues, this plague, this has happened before. And how we navigate it isn't something that we have to figure out. Paul's saying, look, it's already been written. It's there. And he says there's two benefits that happens when you when you start to dig into the scriptures. He says that you'll find encouragement and endurance and that ultimately they provide hope for you. One of the things that we say here a lot of Encounter Church is that we believe this can be the most helpful and hopeful part. And where that comes from, this idea is actually right here. Paul is saying, look, scriptures, they can be helpful and they can be hopeful. They can guide you and lead you no matter who you are and where you are. The first thing he says, well, the, one of the things that he says is encouragement. Now, for us in kind of a modern Western world, the word encouragement is more of an emotive term, right? We say, oh, I want to encourage you. And it's really more like you kind of getting someone kind of helping them kind of get pumped up a little bit or maybe like have enough to kind of walk through a hard time. But encouragement was a lot bigger in this time period. Encouragement had a little bit of an educational aspect to it. It's like, hey, we want to correct, direct, inspire you. There's a full, kind of a fuller meaning to the word encouragement that Paul's using here. Because scripture can help you identify. It can help you kind of drill into what the problem is that you're walking through. It can help you understand what it is that you're playing and that you're going through, that you're navigating. And not only does it help you identify the problem, it also helps you to find a solution. That scripture, by standing in front of it, we can actually begin to see the gaps in our lives as this mirror reflects back on our life. One of the most successful um, Thai advertising campaigns um, came in around 2012. Uh, Thailand had a huge smoking problem, and they were trying to figure out how do we, with a limited budget, um, really help curb adult smoking. So they came up with this campaign. They, um, they secretly recorded. They set up cameras all around this um, square, and they had kids with cigarettes walk up to adults on smoke break. And so the adults are kind of, and kids walk up with the cigarette and they say, hey, can I get a light? And the adults look at them and they're like, no, kid, this is, no, that's stupid. I'm not going to give you a light. You shouldn't be smoking. Smoking's the worst thing ever. It's the dumbest thing you can ever do. And, and almost every one of these videos shows adults lecturing these kids how bad it makes your breath how horrible it makes your clothes smell how it makes you cough like they're just listing all the reasons smoking is the dumbest idea ever all while simultaneously smoking and then part of the campaign was the kids finally saying putting the cigarette down and saying so why don't you stop smoking and the kid hands them a sheet of paper and then walks away and with this video that you can find online, what you'll see is that most of the adults threw the cigarettes down. And they opened up the sheet, and what was inside the sheet was like, we want to help you stop. Call 1600, which was the Thai uh, anti-smoking campaign's phone number, so that people could begin to get help. And this phone number, which previously before this moment had hardly had any calls, saw a 62% increase instantly just when the, the ad started to air. Because these kids had done something for these adults. They had, they had served as a mirror to, to kind of identify a gap in what the adults were saying to these kids versus what they were actually doing. And scripture, one of the ways that it's so encouraging to us, 
is that it helps us identify the gaps. It helps us give us a mirror into our souls, into our lives that shows us where we are and where we could be. Shows us where our relationships are and where they could be. And this mirror, while sometimes quite difficult to look into, can actually be one of the most freeing things that you and I ever do. Because sometimes we need to be reminded that we have participated in every single one of our worst decisions ever. That we were all participants in our worst decisions that we've ever made. Right? We said that. We did that. We drank that. We smoked that. We didn't do that. We dated him or her. We married him or her. We all are participants in our decisions. And that when we stand in front of this mirror and we see with clarity what we still can control, it gives you a sense of empowerment because we're reminded frequently, especially in seasons like this, of all the things we can't control, all the things that are beyond our power. And yet one of God's greatest gifts to us is responsibility. The fact that you and me have been given this gift of life and that we are responsible for what we do with it and how we live it and how we lead through it. That I tell my daughter frequently, hey, sweetie, no one else can live your life. No one else can make your decisions. That's something that only you can do, that you're responsible for you. And that's a really important thing to embrace because it puts you back in the driver's seat. And sometimes, yes, it is hard to look into that mirror and to see what it is that we're lacking or where the gaps are in our lives. And, and it can be humiliating if, if we're being real about it. But if we embrace that with humility, it can actually be freeing. If we can recognize where we are, we can actually start to take steps to where God desires for us to be. We can also find moments in our lives where it's not just a reality of a problem that we can solve because Sometimes scripture shows us problems that we can solve. I mean, scripture's storyline ultimately is pointing to the deepest problem that we all have and how God solved that problem for us, that we were spiritually disconnected from him, that we had a desire to have a relationship with him, that we, had a, we were created for that desire, we were created for that relationship, and that the world is not the way it's meant to be. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. And that that disconnect was caused by you and I. And that, as I've said before, I've never had to sit any of my kids down, nor did my mom sit me down and say, here, I want to teach you how to disobey me. It was kind of my default when I was born. I just knew how to rebel. I knew how to not listen and do the opposite. And that it's not just in our relational, physical standpoint. It's also in our spiritual relationship. And so scripture storyline points us to the deepest problem and how Jesus has solved that to restore that relationship. But Paul also says that there's endurance that comes too. Because sometimes we're living in seasons or we're dealing with things that are not a problem to be solved, but is a tension to be managed, as one of my mentors says. That it's a tension that we have to learn how to manage and live with. In fact, the word endurance actually means a weight on you that you can't get off. To endure something means that physically something's been placed on your shoulders and you can't remove it. You have to wait with that weight on your shoulders. And that scripture is filled with this constant reminder of that, hey, it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait if you just wait. I know it's heavy. I know it's hard, but keep going. Keep moving. 
And what happens as we learn to build that endurance, as we learn to shoulder that weight that maybe we're walking through, that tension that we're navigating, that situation that we find ourselves in right now with stress or anxiety, that one of the beautiful things is that if you spend time engaging with, with, with scriptures, what starts to happen is your expectations and your views start to be transformed. You start to see the world differently. You start to envision the world the way God envisioned it, and it changes how you are able to stand underneath it. Because oftentimes, expectations are at the root of our frustrations. It's one of those subtle, small things that have derailed many people. One of the most famous um, and high-ranking individuals that were captured in the Vietnam War was Admiral Stockdale. Now, Admiral Stockdale, when he was captured, uh, the Vietnamese recognized that they had a very valuable prisoner of war. So they treated him very special. Now, special wasn't a good thing. Uh, he was thrown in a camp that was um, a really brutal torture camp. He was put into solitary confinement. For eight years, he endured that solitary confinement, that space. He, his cell that he slept in had the light on 24 hours a day so that he never could experience darkness. He was taken out and he was tortured over 20 times during his eight time period. Sometimes he would, eat, he would even beat himself up against the wall or however he could to disfigure himself so that he wouldn't be drugged in front of a camera as an example of how the Vietnamese army was treating prisoners of war kindly. So he, he even and sometimes intentionally disfigured himself to avoid being used as a pawn. All along during that, he never took off his admiral rank. He made sure that all the other prisoners of war with him felt encouraged and felt inspired. In fact, he invented a communication via taps on the floor so that prisoners around his cell could hear them. And they began to learn what he was teaching them. And, and they would use that as a way of communicating with each other. During a really um, brutal time period, at one point, those prisoners that he was encouraging um, as he was being tortured and kept in a uh, locked in a cell, they would walk by his cell with a broom and they would swish and they would swash a message to him. He would write letters that would eventually make his way back to his wife and he would encode in those letters secret messages for the U.S. military to know where and what he was going through, knowing that if it ever was discovered, he would be dead. And he endured that for eight years. But what was incredible was he, when he got out and he was being interviewed, someone asked him the question, hey, who didn't make it out? Like, it's amazing. You did it. But who didn't make it? And he said, oh, that's easy. The optimist. They didn't make it out. And the interview said, the optimist? They didn't make it out? He said, yeah, the optimist. You see, they were the ones who were going like, oh, we're going to be out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come. Oh, We'll be out by Easter, and then Easter would come. We'll be out by the summer, and then summer would turn into fall. We'll be out by Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving would turn into Christmas. Oh, we'll be out by Christmas. And eventually they all died. They said they'd die of a broken heart because their optimism had been crushed. And so they were, the interviewer was a little surprised, and they said, well, okay, well, help us understand. You seem to be optimistic. He said, no, no, no. You need to realize that I never confused Look, I never lost the faith that in the end of the story, I never doubted that I would get out. But also, I knew that while I would prevail in the end, that this would also be one of the worst things I'd ever have to endure. 
He even said this. He said, I was committed to turning this experience into a defining event in my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. Those were his words. He said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. He said, look, I will prevail, but I'm in a tough spot, but I'm going to prevail. And, and what Stockdale was doing in that interview, I think actually points us to what um, Paul was saying can be produced in our own personal lives as we walk through and as we engage with scriptures. That what Stockdale had was hope, this ability to see the end, but at the same time see where he was in the middle. Because it's oftentimes the middle that takes people off course. And one of the amazing things about Scripture is that Scripture points us to the central storyline that hope is present in all of our darkest moments if we're willing to grab hold of it. Because hope isn't an idea, it's a person. And his name is Jesus. And that, that hope that has a name is the living example. He's an inspiration to you and to me of what God can do in the midst of our most difficult struggles and our most difficult pain, right? The storyline of Christianity is that on Friday, he was crucified, God in flesh, killed on a cross, the worst day ever, only to be followed three days later by the most glorious event in human history, the resurrection, right? An empty tomb and a rising sun. That hope that God can take any of our pain, any of our struggles and bring purpose out of it, bring redemption from it, that God can work out things that even when it doesn't look like they're working at all. That Stockdale could say in retrospect that he would never trade his time of war is the same thing that I think Christians can say when they grab hold of hope and they walk through whatever it is that they walk through, knowing that he's with them, that he's for them, that he's beside them, he's around them, he's in them, and that that hope is alive and it's raging like a lion just waiting to be unleashed from the cage. It doesn't mean it makes it easier, but it does mean that in the end, you know it will end. And that he says that everything that was written in the past was done to give us that encouragement, to give us that endurance so that we might have hope. Because when you start to spend time reading the scriptures, when you start to spend time digging into the Bible, what you'll find is that it's filled with story after story after story for you to draw out hope, for you to draw out inspiration, for you to draw out the motivation for your storyline. That when you start flipping through the Old Testament, those Jewish scriptures, and you see that there's Moses, this guy who thought he was going to be a somebody, but now he's a nobody. He's living in the desert. He's been on the run. He's all along. And there God meets him in the middle of nowhere to say, look, I'm the God who takes nobodies and uses them and transforms them into somebodies that do extraordinary things that they never imagined they can do. And then you keep flipping, flipping the pages and you see a kid like Joseph, who's kind of thrown into prison for 13 years, he has a dream. He thinks, man, one day this thing's going to happen. And year after year after year after year after year, nothing happens but shackles and chains and pain. 
And then one day, in a turn of events, out of nowhere, God does something there that causes him to go from the prison to the palace. You keep flipping the pages and you find a little shepherd boy who's just being faithful in the pasture, doing what he's supposed to do. No one else is watching. No one else sees him, but God sees him. God sees his heart. And that little shepherd boy in the pasture, being faithful in the small things, is eventually elevated to the palace. And he's made the king. Because God is seeing everything. And he's watching the heart of this small kid who's a poet. Writing his words, singing his songs. And God says, that's going to be the future king that all of the kings are named after. And then you keep flipping the pages and there's this prophet, this this special messenger from God, this guy named Elijah. And Elijah, he's, he's a man who is in this place and he has no food, he has no money. And his life is on the run. And And God uses even birds to take care of him and feed him. That what you find over and over and over is that God is faithful, that he never forsakes, he never turns his back, that he is with us, he is for us, he is around us, he surrounds us, that he is our victory, he is the one who wins our battles, that he is the one who sustains us in our losses, in our griefs, and that our darkest, worst moments can, can become the very breakthrough for the defining moments of our life. That that fostering of hope was even in the backdrop of these people who were getting this letter. He's reminding them of Jesus, who they followed. But the reason they're in Rome is because they fled persecution, because they were Christians in the first place. They were in Jerusalem, and then their lives became endangered, so they fled. And Paul's like, look, even you will one day be a future encouragement for those. You see, they made it. In the midst of harder circumstances than what we're working through. And God used a letter written to a people by Paul that he never met to encourage and inspire you and me today, almost 2,000 years later. God doesn't waste any of our pain, He counts and collects every one of our tears. He knows you, He loves you, He's for you, and that He's given us the Bible. For us to be able to look into it and find encouragement, find direction, find correction, find inspiration. And that we see in the stories of those who've gone before us, the wisdom and the guidance to keep moving forward to. Which is why in this season, we want to resource you. Because I don't want to waste this moment we have. Because I believe that on the other side of this moment, there's a better you and I. There's a a different you and I. There's habits, there's dreams, there's things waiting to be unlocked, goals and skills and relationships. There's a deeper marriage on the other side of this thing. There's a deeper relationship with your kids on the other side of this thing. There's a richer version of you, maybe not financially, but experientially in who you are. But one of the things that I, I hope for you, that I believe you can have, is a deeper, richer relationship with God too. And that we want to help you in that journey. That I, I don't want you just to need Sunday to make it through your Monday. And so we want to start to resource you. And that's why you've heard me in the last two weeks really push our email list. Say, look, if you haven't signed up for our email, you want to sign up because we've been wanting to set you up so that we can serve you well. We want to start sending out resources for you. 
and for your family, whatever stage, age, and season of life you find yourself in. In fact, there's two resources I want to send this week to you. One of them is a a one-sheet financial cheat sheet. Because I recognize for many of us, finances have gotten tight or we're starting to feel the pressure or we're starting to have a little sense of panic of like, oh my goodness, what do I do? And we have a one-sheet kind of cheat sheet just to help you get started. Kind of help you collect and frame your thoughts. Kind of move out of panic mode into planning mode. And that's a resource that's free. We just want to send it to you. Can I help you in this season? And if you're a parent and you've been wondering, okay, how do I, how do I understand what this might do to my kids or how do I resource them in a way that's going to help them grow in resilience? Um, there's a really great talk that I heard. I spent time with this guy in a small group of leaders last year and um, just an incredibly insightful guy who's, um, his job is to study this generation that are, that's growing up and right before our very eyes. And while this talk isn't specifically focused in on what we're navigating through right now with COVID-19, it is a really helpful 30-minute talk about fostering resilience in your children. And it's a resource we want to be able to send to you. And so if you will sign up at encounterchurch.com forward slash connect right after this message, then this week we'll start sending you those emails. We'll start getting you the, the information you need. And for those who are maybe in a place where you're like, look, I really want to learn how to read the Bible. Like, okay, you've talked about the scriptures, but how do I learn how to read them? And we want to resource you too. In fact, one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going to start an online class to kind of help train and kind of teach you how, in, in kind of an introductory way, how I'm able to read the Bible, how I'm able to take what I read on Sundays or on Mondays or Tuesdays or whatever day it is, and turn it into what I bring to you on the weekends. And then I want to teach you how I do that. And it'll be a short kind of online class. We've never done this before, but hey, never pandemic pastored before either. So why not, right? And so imagine coming out of this season, not just like the Bible being something on your shelf, but it being something that you actually understand and that brings life to you, that brings guidance, encouragement, and helps you endure. And I believe you can experience that. And so if you want to sign up for that, the same form that I referenced, encounterchurch.com forward slash connect, our connection card, um, you can actually click on there and say, hey, I'm interested in this um, online reading the Bible class. And uh, we'll follow up with you this week to kind of tell you what that's going to look like. And then one of the other things that we're going to be doing um, is midweek, starting this week, we've got this really um, uh, kind of cool idea that we want to roll out with you. So Wednesdays at lunchtime around noon, I'm going to do a Facebook live and we'll save the video for those who don't have access to Facebook and we'll send that out in the email as well. Um, But it's just going to be a Facebook live. Um, I'll have a spiritual thought from scripture kind of just to say, hey, imagine if this was in our lives, kind of help us navigate this season, but also a time of prayer where you can post up prayer requests and other people can pray with you um, and whatever you're walking through. Because we do believe that God is with us. He is for us, even in the midst of this season. And so if you've never liked our Facebook page or if you've never followed it, right now would be the time to do it so that on Wednesdays around lunchtime, you'll get the alert that we're live and that we're going to be digging in. It's going to be just a short time. It won't be anything like the service length. It's really just meant to be kind of a casual conversation where we just give you a passage we've been thinking about in a way that can help you and help me walk out hope in the midst of this season. Because I do believe that no matter who you are, where you are, that what we find ourselves in 
this moment, this uncharted moment doesn't have to be uncertain. It doesn't have to be panic-inducing, fear-inducing, or anxiety-inducing. It can actually be the vessel, the conduit that God uses to bring out a better you and me on the other side. And that one of the primary ways he does that is through our interaction with Scripture through the encouragement it gives us and the endurance that it it teaches that we can experience hope, hope that all of us can experience every single waking moment of our life. And so let's step in and claim what he already has for us and the hope that came through Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you are exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.